right! I mean, the, the oath of office is to protect and defend the Constitution uh, against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And now, the real threat, the only threat we really faced were really domestically. We, if we had a domestic, we could change, we have done to ourselves fundamentally what the terrorists wanted done but could never achieve. We have done to ourselves. And this is the domestic threat that our constitutional and the oath of office that we took was, was given to prevent. I mean, this is the only way we, no, no other country in the world could have, uh, could have done to us what we have done to ourselves. And so uh, this is the time when all good Americans need to stand up and oppose this. And that is one William Benny, former NSA, top-level NSA employee, calling on all Americans to seek and stand up to exactly what we intrude with and to. Now that's my interpretation, but seek and destroy, folks. Wrongdoings, corruption, dishonesty in your government, in your massive multinational corporations. And by the way, if you just take that word for a moment, this is Discussions of Truth, Wednesdays, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard, right here, Winwood Radio. I'm your host, Ian Hamilton Trottier. Take that word, dissect that word that I just mentioned, and that is government. Govern, in Latin, means control. If you speak Spanish, or if you speak Latin, most likely Italian, or a Romance language, I'm going to assume there. But if you, if you, if you take meant... In Spanish, the mind, the translation of mind is mente. That is where you get the latter compound to that word government. It literally translates to controlling the masses, or more particularly, controlling the mind, shaping the mind of the masses to think a certain way. And I've alluded to this in a couple shows past. We, we don't just conjure or d d develop languages uh, without reason or meaning. Civilizations, different civilizations, develop different languages. And it's for a reason because... It's a language symbolizes a different way of thinking. That's exactly what it is. And if you learn another language, other than the one you your mother language, if you learn an alternative language, 
Many many times as you develop a sentence in that language, it causes the mind to think a different way. Government. Heed the words of William there. This is the time. Your country. If you don't do something about it, it will be on the brink of collapse. That's the way I feel. And that's why I address and talk about the various things that I do on this on this program. And what a show we have lined up for you today. Making his third appearance on the program will be J.P. Lindstrath. PhD from Oxford. He's going to address an issue happening right now that gets frankly shut down by mainstream sources. He'll be discussing the civil war in Yemen right now. Then, at about the 5.15 mark, we will be bringing on Dr. Dave Janda, who does his show out of Michigan. Quickly, before we bring on JP, December 19th, we will be hosting Scott Bennett. He's a U.S. Army Special Operations Officer, former 11th Psychological Operations Battalion, Civil Affairs, Psychological Operations Command, and a Global Psychological Warfare Counterterrorism Analyst, formerly with a defense contractor, Edward Edward Snowden, Booz Allen Hamilton. That would be my middle name there, Hamilton. It's a family name from Scotland. Centuries old. Okay, so he'll be joining us December 19th. And coming up next week... First, let me uh, let me mention December twelfth. We'll be hosting Jefferson Morley. He's a DC-based author and veteran journalist of over thirty years. Our man in Mexico, Winston Scott, and the hidden history of the CIA is what we'll be discussing with Jefferson. And by the way, Scott is somewhat of a whistleblower. We'll hear more about Shell Game, his book. And he refers to it as a report. In the future episodes, of course. We'll talk a little more about, about that. Next week, we'll be broadcasting live from Art Basel, 12th and Ocean, Miami Beach. The fair is called Untitled. And our guest will be Andy Lee Roth was on program for a few moments a couple weeks ago. ProjectCensored.org. He's the current vice president. So, Dr. Dr. Janda coming up in about 10 minutes, and I'll be right back with Dr. Lindstroth.
Okay, and we are back. This is Discussion to Truth. Every Wednesday, 5 o'clock, right here, Winwood Radio. Tune in. That's p.m. Eastern Standard Time. For a third time to the program, we're hosting Dr. John Paul Lindstroth. He's a Ph.D. from Oxford, and he has some very interesting news to share with us today, some research that he's been doing Regarding the civil war in Yemen, it's not getting much play on mainstream media. JP, what can you tell us about what's happening in Yemen? Okay, so uh, can you hear me, first of all? Yes. Okay, good. So um, thank you for intru- for having me back. I, I just want to say really appreciate it. And uh, shout out to uh, Royal Palm Beach High School and Dr. Armis. And Miss Jones and all the faculty there just had to do that real quick. <laughs> Great. Okay, so I'm not a middle I'm not a Middle Eastern expert, Ian, but okay. what concerned me about the Yemen and the Middle East or this particular issue, um, there's been some recent things in anthropology. You know, I have my PhD in anthropology from the University of Oxford, so right. um, it just came to my attention that. Um, You know, 14 million people are on the verge of starvation there. Um, And so, and it's, and Save the Children, which is a nonprofit organization, just came out with a statement saying that um, in the last couple years, probably about 85,000 children have died of malnutrition because of the civil war there. 85,000. 85,000. That's... Uh, 14, yeah, yeah. yeah, go ahead, JP. That's quite appalling. That's an appalling number. And 14 million now, as we speak, are on the verge of starvation. And this is this is according to, to the United Nations. And this is a country of only 29 people. And this is according to the United Nations officials, Ian. So you, there, it's possible that half of the population... I, I'm assuming you meant 29 million... It's assuming that half of the population is on the verge of being wiped out of that country? Three-quarters of the population, Ian, are on the verge of being wiped out. Three-quarters of the population of Yemen is on the verge of being wiped out, and it's not getting any airtime on any of the mainstream media uh, news outlets in the United States. It has, uh, but, you know, we're increasingly becoming isolated in this country by not getting enough international media here, right? And what you get international media is you get it early in the morning or like in weird hours, like in the wee hours. But sometimes I have to stay up and work, you know. And, you know, you just don't get enough international media unless you're online, you know, checking out international news stories and looking at maybe the, the BBC or international newspapers or whatever. You're just not going to get a lot of international news. So apart from this being an international crisis and certainly a, 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 a humanitarian crisis, uh, and possibly charges of uh, a genocide, depending on how it's you know how that's uh, unfolding there. Uh, uh, for listeners, why you know <laughs> apart from what I've just mentioned, why should this uh, why should they, why should they take heed and why should they be interested in this? I mean, if you know, I mean, why is this important? Again, I mean, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to sound cruel, but you no, know, right. I, mean, I mean, but no. but you know, it, well, yeah. How do you wake people up and say, "Look, this is a problem. People are dying, millions." Right. Yeah. Now, this is there's a couple reasons, Ian. I, 
And um, one of the reasons is that, obviously, uh, uh, because of the Civil War there, began in 2015, and because uh, a guy named uh, Hadi was kicked out of the country because the Houthi rebels did not want him there, and he's a Sunni, and he was supported by... See if we can get uh, JP back on here. Getting into the meat here with JP. Let's just, uh, okay. J, uh, oh, here we go. Okay. JP, got your back. I, I apologize for that. You know, I'm on my phone and I'm in between, um, places here, Ian. Okay. No problem. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I was, sorry, I was in the middle of that. And what I was saying is that, um, because the Saudi supported the uh, ex-president, the Saudis um, created an international coalition to put him back in place, in power. And so the Houthis are rebels in the north who are basically Shia, who are also uh, Iranian-supported. And the United States, uh, Great Britain, and France supply a lot of the arms for the Saudis and has created this humanitarian crisis. I'm just, these are very simple terms. I mean, obviously this is very much more complicated than this, but, uh, but I mean, recent anthropological studies are saying that recently mass starvation is being used as a, a weapon of war, right? So you talked about genocide. So, um, you know, you have, you have a, a couple anthropologists talking about, you know, how that, how that happened. Great. Okay. And so, and so, I mean, so basically, the civil war there has been going on since 2015, and it's basically a civil war between uh, Shias and Sunnis. The Sunnis being in the majority of the population, um, the Sunnis being supported by Saudi Arabia and their coalition, the Houthis. Um, being supported by Iran, but although Iran denies that. Um, and so you have this kind of proxy wars being played out in the Middle East, which is also, by the way, going on in places like Syria and Lebanon, okay? Um, and, and, you know, like I said, I, I'm, I'm no Middle Eastern expert, but for me, as a peace activist, I was concerned about humanitarian implications of, you know, what's going on there. Of course. Absolutely. Uh, and, JP, what's your source of uh, information here? Are you getting it from the UN website, or how are you digging? All right, so uh, I have a, uh, a couple sources, actually. Um, one of them is uh, Martha Mundy's report. Okay. And um, the other is uh, an anthropologist named DeWall, Franz DeWall. And DeWall's at uh, Stanford, uh, sorry, at Tufts University. 
Okay, and Dewall uh, is um, the head of, or you know, the the head of the the Peace Institute in, in Tufts University, and Martha Mundy is a former, uh, well, a retired anthropologist from London School of Economics. Okay, excellent. And so, and so the other the other information where I'm getting it from Ian is UN websites and nonprofit organizations like Save the Children, and some of this did get. Um, you know, some international news, but it's, you know, again, it's been kind of dropped, and we're, what the hope is, um, they're hoping that, but there's a peace, there's peace talks, there's a UN representative who's British, who's in Yemen trying to get the parties to uh, come to the table in Sweden. The U.S. in the Security Council resolution said that, you know, toward the end of December, hopefully, that they can get to talk to get talks done. Um, and then the other thing to complicate it even more, Ian, is that um, uh, Al Qaeda, based in Saudi Arabia and ISIL or ISIS, um, basically controls a third of the country in the southwest. Mm-hmm. So that's the other complicated aspect of that, as far as. U.S. foreign policy and how we deal with uh, the region. I'm sorry, his, the anthropologist, his name is uh, Alex Duvall. That's tough. He, uh, his, his recent book is already, already out now. It's called Mass Starvation. And basically, My gosh, okay. the idea of using star, or starvation or famine, famine as a war tactic. Mm-hmm. Okay, excellent. All right. Uh, JP, this is, uh, this is hot. Um, and I know you're working on some other things. Uh, We've got to go. Yeah. We've, we're, we're out of time at the moment, but um, I, I like I like what you're doing, and we will revisit. I'll be in contact with you off uh, off the air, JMP. J- thanks for joining. Uh, Discussions of truth. We'll be back in touch with you very shortly. All right, I, I really appreciate it, and I and I uh, apologize that we're communicating over the phone this way. Uh, hopefully, we'll we'll get better communication next time. But my some of my op eds you can see on Peace Voice, Great. which is a a piece, and also. A lot of newspapers are picking that up. I think I have another newspaper picking up another op-ed, uh, and that's coming out maybe Sunday or Monday on teaching tolerance. So, and we can talk, and then, you know, I'm, I'm obviously working on things all the time, so. Excellent. Okay, JP, uh, talk to you soon. Thank you. I, thank you so much, Ian. I appreciate it. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, JP Lindstroth, again, peacevoice.info. And his, the spelling of his last name, L-I-N-S-T-R-O-T-H. The man has a PhD from Oxford, and as you can tell uh, from uh, this fellow at uh, Tufts, Duval, starvation as a weapon, Agenda 21, Agenda 2030, the fires in California, New World Order. Heed the alarm, folks. Just like I opened up this show with William Biney. The time is now for all good Americans to stand up. Let your voice be heard, folks. I'll be right back with Dr. Dave Janda.
right, we don't want to play that uh, intro again, but Seek and Destroy, I love it. I can't get enough of it. We have online right now Dr. Dave Janda calling us. Uh, are you, Dave, uh, welcome to Discussion of Truth and Winwood Radio. Are you in uh, Michigan? I sure am, in the People's Republic of Ann Arbor. <laughs> I love it. Thanks for your patience. Uh, we, we, we brought on the program, uh, opening up the show with uh, uh, Oxford PhD, uh, a great guy that's based down here in South Florida, uh, J.P. Lindstrath, and he's doing some research on uh, on Yemen. That's uh, really it's just it's just mind boggling what's going on over there. I'm not sure if you have looked into the civil war over there, but um, projections are calling for a mass starvation of about 14 million. Dave. Tell us about what you do. You've got your own program uh, that you, I don't know if it's daily or weekly, but tell us. You're an orthopedic surgeon by training. Tell us a little bit. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, yep, uh, happy to, Ian, uh, and a pleasure to be with your audience. Uh, I'm an orthopedic surgeon by trade. Uh, recently retired. Retired due to the implementation of Obamacare, which uh, escalated as of January 1st, 2017, with the introduction of electro the essentially mandated use of electronic medical records as well as uh, a number of the protocols. Uh, I've been an or- I had been an orthopedic surgeon, practiced medicine for 32 years, and, and in addition to my work in orthopedic surgery, I also uh, have been very, very uh, active in prevention-related research. I'm the director of the Institute for Preventative Sports Medicine, have been for over 30 years, it's really the only cost containment organization of its kind uh, on our continent. We focus on what I believe and many believe now is the most cost-effective means and most ethical means of cutting health care costs, not by rationing or denying care, which is what insurance companies are all about and what government bureaucrats are all about, and which is really the foundation of Obamacare, which is why I objected to participating in, in an Obamacare-type system. But we focus on preventing health care need. An example, Ian, just one of our studies that we started at the University of Michigan and then carried over the Institute, according to the federal government, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, has led to the prevention of about 1.7 million injuries a year in our country and saved $2 billion in health care costs. And in that particular series of studies, we spent $1,000 once. And that's not the exception to the rule. It is the rule when it comes to prevention. A very small outlay in expenditures can have an enormous reduction in pain, suffering, and the associated health care costs. So I had been involved in, in prevention, as I mentioned, for over 30 years. And that led actually to uh, many, many years ago, back in 1988, Ronald Reagan recognizing the, the power of prevention. He asked me to come to Washington and work with then Surgeon General C. Everett Koop and uh, Jack Kemp, who actually was a policy advisor to his to him, who was also in Congress at the time, and a number of other individuals, and work on health care policy, trying to make the health care system more available and more affordable and more quality-oriented. And over time, that had led to me doing a lot of media presentations and the like on what I used to call the mainstream media that I now call the lamestream media. And uh, (laughs) I I, um, got to a point where a number of folks approached me about radio. So I host, as you mentioned, a weekly radio show, Operation Freedom. Uh, Folks, it's based at Wham Talk 1600, based here in southeast Michigan. Uh, Folks can stream the show live every Sunday, 2 to 5 Eastern. They can go to my website, davejanda.com, and uh, stream the show. We have listeners from all over the country. Actually, last week, according to our analytics, we had folks in over 170 countries listening to our show. 
Wow. So we get we get um, we we get a lot of and, and oh, the guests we bring to the show yeah are very similar to the guests you have there. I, 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 having worked in healthcare policy for thirty years, I've developed a lot of contacts within many different agencies, many different organizations. Not just healthcare, but for example, if the Treasury Department need advice on healthcare issues, they contact me and. And therefore, then I got to know some people in the Secret Service, and that led to me knowing people in the FBI, the Defense Department, the Pentagon, um, the Defense Intelligence Agency, the Central Intelligence Agency, and and it led the DEA and the like, and it and it led to me having huge number of contacts and folks uh, in various departments, and I and it became very obvious to me, and now this is 30 years ago, that that there was something going on behind the curtain that no one in the media was reporting on and that is there was a group of individuals that have now been classified as the deep state or if you will shadow government that don't have the interests of the american public at heart they have their own self-centered interests at heart and in fact the shadow government or the deep state was intent on trying to strip freedom and liberty from as many of americans and people around the world as possible and what I do with the show is bring forward individuals that I have known for some cases decades, some cases number of years, to speak about the the deep state, yeah. the shadow government, the what's really going on behind the curtain that the bought-off lamestream fake media, which is a tentacle of the globalist syndicate of the deep state, would never touch. Beautiful. Beautifully said. Beautifully, beautifully, beautifully said, Dave. Let's backtrack because I think I think we can go. We can go. We can go deep with the deep state, can't we? But let's let's backtrack. You were appointed by uh, Bush, the second Bush. Is that right? His administration. The first, actually, the, the first Bush. So Reagan had me working on health care policy with C. Everett Koop and a number of other folks, and then when Reagan and it was t- toward the end of his administration in '88 when he had asked me to come to Washington and, and work on that, and then. After um, after Reagan left office and George Bush the first came into office, uh, George Bush the first had appointed me actually to uh, a position. Um, there was a National Center for Injury Prevention and Control, and he uh, placed me on the board of that organization. Okay, so you're a you're a big fan of uh, fast food, I'd imagine. <laughs> actually, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you something. I I. Uh, <laughs> I, I do enjoy a great burger. Um, if if you ask my wife what Dave Janda's favorite favorite lunch is, she will tell you <laughs> the dollar fifty nine special at Costco hot dog and a, a pop. And and she would not be lying to you. That is my that is my favorite lunch on the planet. So you know I, I do believe in certain things. There are certain things that when it comes to fast food, well. I, I might not be the shining example of being an organic, um, di- uh, you know, being in, in the orga- or in the organic category. But, but I'm a big fan of of, uh, of healthy nutrition. But I'm also a sure. big fan of treating yourself in moderation. So, so Dave, let's okay. So let's let's get into uh, let's get into the to, to the deep state and and we'll we'll, we'll kind of jump over you know the vaccine issue. You're you, uh, if you have any comments, I, I've brought a number of guests on the program, and we've, we've discussed that. And and uh, most recently, Dr. Uh, Judy Mikovits, uh, retrovirus retrovirus scientist, uh, 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 she went she went pretty deep into 
uh, her research, and she ended up being, uh, I don't know if you know her story, but she ended up being arrested uh, and, 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 and no charges uh, pressed against her. She never had a, a hearing. She spent a few days in, in jail because she refused to take to, to retract her research that was published in, in, in the journal Science. Uh, her mm-hmm. employer at the time uh, had wanted her to, uh, to, to retract that, that research. She stuck by it. She said, no, this is my research. And, uh, and so she, she paid a price for that. But but we talked about mandatory vaccines, and of course, some of the states in the union are passing mandatory vaccinations. There's pros, there's cons. So, so again, if you have any comments, uh, just being in a medical field, uh, go for it. Let me let me let me ask you this question, however, Dave, um, because this is this is also a very reoccurring theme that that uh, that we address here on discussion of truth. What was it? And you spoke. You spoke to a group of individuals. Are you able to identify those individuals as to who they are, what they represented, and roughly represent? And then for listeners, as this might kind of be uh, a broad spectrum, something they, they that that they haven't really considered before. It's you know, it's we've got President Trump now, and he's talking about the deep state, but we never heard. At least I never heard Obama talk about it. Um, so 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 why is it? surfacing now and you talked about in the 80s kind of saying hey there's some funky business going on so what yeah. was that funky stuff going on well well let me let me let me uh let me t- a couple things here Ian. um one of the first when i got to washington in 88 um one of Br- president reagan's administrative assistants anyone who came on the team to work on policy let me give you a, a just a, a a brief summary of the presentation that you were given uh President Reagan wants to have everybody on the same page of the playbook. Good. Uh, bottom line is, is the right-left axis, this is 88, the right-left axis is theater. It's meant to have people jumping at each other's throats, and it's meant to distract people what's really going on. There are a group of individuals within the government, within governments of the world, that uh, do not focus on the right-left axis. They use that as a means of distraction. They, means, they use it as a means of dividing and conquering. The, uh, the ultimate axis that the president wants you to con- concentrate on is the up-down axis, up being freedom and down being oppression. And the goal of the president is to enhance as many freedoms and liberties as is possible and to, if you will, stifle those that are trying to oppress people's freedoms and liberties. So when you look at an issue, the goal is to enhance freedom, whether it's health care, whether it's economics, whether it's finances, whether whatever it might be. And the goal is to try to, if you will, hamper those that are working the up-down axis. Now, at the time, we weren't given the names Deep State, Globalist Syndicate. We were just told that there are groups of individuals, not only within the U.S. government, but governments around the world, that are intent on focusing on the up-down axis, and in particular, focusing on oppressing people. So when our charge came to health care reform, and this is what's frustrating, Ian, because issues that C. Edward Koop, the then Surgeon General, myself, and a number of others, Jack Kemp, and a number of others were working on, many of the solutions we spoke about 30 years ago are now being discussed today. For example, in 1988, After we got our group together and got our information together and got our recommendations together, Surgeon General Coop approached President Reagan and said, look, there are some things that we believe can enhance every American's health care freedom. 
make healthcare more available, more affordable, and more quality oriented. And here was here's what they were. Number one were the utilizations of then the term was medical IRAs. Now we talk about health savings accounts. They're the same thing. They empower people and they, if you will, strip power from government bureaucrats and insurance executives. Excellent. We also spoke about utilizing and empowering primary care physicians. Now today we talk about direct primary care models where the primary care physician essentially is on call for a patient for a an individual 24-7 and is essentially their gatekeeper through the system to can make it more available, more affordable. We spoke about having high risk pools so that there could not be any of this pre-existing condition issue that insurance companies like to levy, if you will, on the unsuspecting public. And in fact, that actually took off to the point where right before Obamacare was passed in the law, mm-hmm. There were 35 of the 50 states that had high-risk pools put in place over that time period. So many people believe until Obamacare, the pre-existing condition problem wasn't addressed. Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, most insurance policies that were going through employers already had pre-existing clauses. And in addition, for those that weren't covered through those employer-based health care insurance programs, high-risk pools were present in 35 of the 50 states. And to eliminate pre-existing issue, all we had to do was flip 15 more states, and this is just immediately prior to Obamacare. In fact, the high-risk pools were deep six with Obamacare. So Coop goes to, says to President Reagan, medical IRAs, now called HSAs, empowering primary care physicians about helping people navigate the system, now it's called direct primary care, utilization of high-risk pools, letting, and this is a big push uh, through the group in 88, Having insurance companies compete rather than collude, being able to sell insurance across state lines, let small businesses pool pool their resources so that they, they have better bargaining power with insurance companies, enhancing price transparency, because even back in 88, trying to get a price of, well, what does a CT scan cost here? What does it cost over here? Price transparency was one of the things we pushed on. Focusing on prevention and wellness initiatives, that's where I came into the picture a bit, and focusing on tort reform, trying to, if you will, bring in, and at the time there was a governor of Indiana, Otis Bowen, I believe was his name, who was a physician, and he instituted panels that would pre-review many of these malpractice claims, and they could throw out the ones that were bogus, and, 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 and again, if there was malpractice created, reward the patient who was harmed as opposed to rewarding the attorney who's going to get a huge chunk of the pie while the person who was harmed by the system is, you know, uh, left yeah. less than whole. So these were some of the recommendations we made back in 88. But here was, so when, when yeah. C, 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 Surgeon General Coop Approach President Reagan about this. See Everett Coop preferenced this and said, look, this is going to upset big insurance, big government, big pharmaceuticals, and big medicine like the AMA. And Reagan's response was the following. I don't care. If it helps people, just let's push it. That was his response. Now, this is toward the end of his administration. George Bush I comes in. 
And this is why I call, I, I say, Ian, and people get upset with me about this, that there's one political party, it's called the Republicans. they're all owned and operated by a criminal syndicate. And, and that was a statement I made in my opening show, October 31st of 2010, when my radio show first went on air. And, and I say that because this is what happened after Reagan left office. Yeah. George Bush the first comes in. Coop presents the same information to George Bush the first, and his response is, we can't do this. We don't want to make the insurance companies mad, the pharmaceutical mm -hmm. companies mad, the, you know, big medicine mad. Do you know how much money we get from them? Mm -hmm. So this was put on the back burner, right? You yes. mentioned I was appointed to this board that met in Atlanta. That sure got Janda out of the mix, out of, out of D.C. for a while. So then Clinton comes in. And, I, and a number of us get contact and say, hey, we understand you guys were working on some... You were working on some uh, health care policy stuff with Reagan. Um, uh, what do you got? And, again, the same information was passed on to Clinton, and the response was, we can't do that. We don't want to make the insurance companies mad, the pharmaceutical companies mad, big medicine mad. You don't know how much money we get from them? Enter George Bush II, and we got the same response. And this is... This is why I say that whether it was Bush 1, Clinton, Bush 2, and Obama, forget about it. He, he was nothing that didn't have anything to do with empowerment of a globalist syndicate, of a, of a globalist system, of big government, of big, of, of big insurance. Insurance companies wow. made out like bandits with wow. Obamacare. Everybody, the, 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 the propaganda pushed by the bought-off lamestream fake media that is part of the globalist syndicate is, oh, the insurance companies did so terribly with Obamacare. Really? Then tell me why their stock prices have appreciated on average 800% since the inception of Obamacare. My goodness, Dave. So, so the bottom line is, is that and, and the first thing I said, Ian, when I went on air is ever since the day Ronald Reagan left office, my experience is every person that has held that office, that's Bush 1, Clinton, Bush 2, and Obama, when I made this statement, every person that has occupied that Oval Office since Reagan left has been owned and operated by a criminal syndicate, a syndicate that is focused on globalism and not making our country and every citizen freedoms yeah. and focused on or, or empowered. Uh, Dave, what were... Now, were you having dialogue with the uh, with the presidents themselves or, or, or how were you going about that that kind of interaction there with the, the interactions were usually yeah. for example with Reagan was through um, uh, Surgeon General Coop okay uh, through Jack Kemp who was a congressman at the time who was working on domestic policy um, my interactions were may I had an opportunity to to meet a number of the presidents however the discussions the pertinent discussions were not between myself and the presidents. They were between, um, if you will, there's a chain of command. Yeah. And the, the top of the chain, for example, under Reagan, uh, under Bush, was through the Surgeon General, and that's where it went. So you had been, you had been appointed by uh, the first Bush, but you were in the mix with Kemp during the Reagan administration. Uh, yes. And you, and you were basically pre uh, presenting, you were doing the back work on the preventative angle. Dave, what companies can you identify? What insurance, big insurance companies or big pharma companies can you identify that may have had uh, some weight involved here? All of them. Bayer? Bar none. 
across the board. You you name the pharmaceutical company, you name the insurance company, and they they are the ones that held the kings to the keys to the kingdom. And did it seem that one administration, if we if we go that process again from Reagan to Bush to Clinton to Bush to Obama, and Obama it sounds like didn't <laughs> didn't put his foot down anywhere. Uh, did it seem that there was you know, let's say for instance that Bush Senior did it seem that he would cater to one uh, one company more than the other or or, or not no no I, I I label um big pharma big medicine and big insurance as being part of the medical industrial complex syndicate yeah and and um Reagan did not did not kowtow to that syndicate I I told you what he told C Everett Coop right um, right, right exactly and that was reinforced with conversations he also had with Jack Kemp. Now, remember, when Kemp, in, in the Bush 1 administration, Kemp became the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, Cabinet Secretary under Bush 1. Uh, but I can tell you that um, the, the Bush 1 administration, the Clinton administration, the Bush 2 administration, um, from my vantage point, there was no difference in how they handled the incestuous relationship between big business and big government. I was just and, and the reason yeah. is and the reason is is because I believe whether it's Bush one, Clinton or Bush two, uh, and Obama, they are all globalists. I was just talking about this yesterday, how odd it seemed to me. We're all Americans. We all love the Constitution. We all love the fact that we're you know we're, we're part of this very prosperous uh, civilization that's more prosperous than any that's walked the land. Uh, you know, the British or the, they may uh, may have an issue with me saying that, but I don't care. I'm a very proud American. We're all American. Bottom line, we're all, we're all American. And we we embrace multiculturalism. We embrace uh, everyone of any, whatever you speak, whatever you look like, whatever you think, you, you know, freedom of speech, freedom of religion. But the issue here, to me, is... How how is it that how is it that a guy names a, a medical a medical uh, 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 program after himself? I just I found that odd. I, even yesterday, I was just thinking, how is it that he you know it's it's called Obamacare. He's not even in office anymore. Uh, you know, I, I don't remember a Bush Care or a Kennedy Care or an Eisenhower Care. But you I, do remember that remember Hillary Care, <laughs> right? There Sorry, was but, a Hillary okay. Care. Okay, no, I don't remember that. I don't remember that. Well, yeah, when when Clinton when Clinton became president, yeah, in 1993, he actually offloaded health care reform to Hillary, and and it was called Hillary Care. Okay. But you're right. Yeah. It, it, it's it and and this is non-denominational. Look, I, I don't look at I don't I, I still go along with what I was taught by Reagan and his administration. I don't. There are equally as many Republicans that despise me as Democrats. And the reason is is because the right-left axis in Dave Janda's world yeah. is nothing but, as I was taught, and I believe to be correct, theater. Absolutely. It's meant to divide yeah. and conquer people. It's meant to distract people. So when I look at people, I look to see, are they globalists? Are they, if, are they globalists? Are, are they... Are they in collusion with the globalist syndicate? Because if they are, they are truly not looking out for the interests and the welfare and the freedoms and the liberties of American citizens. And that doesn't mean the globalists want you to think of this as a zero-sum game. It's not. Because we look out 
for the interests of Americans and our country does not mean that we're not looking out for the interests of every person in the world. Right. This is an issue of lifting the boat with everyone in it. A rising tide lifts all boats. And what the globalists want you to believe is that if one country does better, all the other countries are going to do worse. And this is their attack on Trump when he talks about being uh, being a nationalist, right? And they try to equate this on racial terms as being a white nationalist. No, there's no white or brown or black or yellow or green or magenta in this. A, a, a nationalist is someone who puts their country and the people of that country ahead of other countries. And that doesn't mean you're going to invade another country. It doesn't mean you're going to discriminate against another country. It means that you're going to look out for the welfare of your country. Putin is a nationalist for the Russians. Now, he he should be the person looking out for the welfare of his people. There's nothing wrong with that. Where we get into problems is when one country starts to invade another country. Yeah. Okay, and starts to usurp rights of other people. Now, this is a globalist tactic. The globalists cl- create war. You, know, you despise war. I despise war. Ninety-nine point nine percent of our listening audience despises. War. We hope, yeah. But but who loves war? The people that get paid. The globalists, <laughs> yeah. Because exactly. the globalists, it's their business model: chaos, and out of chaos. Wars a good uh, causes great chaos. Out of chaos, the globalists have always gained in in their power, in their control, and actually in their financial bottom line. Right. Yeah. Very, very well said, Dave. Are you familiar with Charlotte Eiserbit? I am. Okay. Excellent. Um, so you know, there's there's a lot of. I started this program a couple years ago after the pesticide called Nailid, uh, it, it, it was sprayed for, for the Zika. And I, I really didn't care one way or the other until a friend of mine said, hey, listen to the town hall meeting. And it, and it got me round up And because I, I, drew, I drew a connection. The Rockefeller had interest in not only the pesticide, they also owned the patent on Zika. It was like a, it was right. like a total oxymoron. And I was I've, this is outrageous. I, I started looking into this. And then a, a producer in L.A. contacted me about the honeybees. And she's been dedicating 10 years of her life to try to get people to bring more awareness about the, the dying uh, honeybee populations. And then that's kind of where it, it started for me, Dave. Um, and then from there, I was turned on to a former Stanford Hoover fellow, uh, Anthony Sutton. Um, and he started kind of dissecting you know, the Vietnam War and then he went further into uh, in, in in the World War II, but I think it's it seems like it's kind of simmering and bubbling now under Trump that people are just like you're saying, Dave. It's theater. It, you know, it, no, it's not about being Democrat. I mean, it is, but it shouldn't be about being Democrat or Republican. The fact of the matter is, we are all Americans, and yes, we want our va- our country values to 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 emit and ex- ex- expand uh, to all human population because it, that's the way it should be. We, we, we really are enforcing basic human rights. In your view, Dave, for listeners and your research, 
what can you direct them to to try to help understand? And there's so many layers to that onion. Um, but from from your approach, that deep state, how can you help define that if you can? Well, I'll tell you something. One of the um, first books I read that um, actually reinforced what I had been seeing in Washington when it comes to the deep state uh, was a book written by someone who's been a guest on my shows, and you possibly have had him on as well, in um, G. Edward Griffin, with his book, um, The Creature from Jekyll Island. I, I believe every high school student in our country uh, should read that. And not only should read it, but should be well-versed in it because it really is a dissection of how, how we got to where we are today. And it presents information that we would never see in a history book that, um, that, it, that would be utilized in um, the vast majority of, of educational institutions in our country. Well done. My mom was a history teacher, and she taught me from a very early age about uh, digging deep and not accepting what was presented in history books because usually those books are fantasy and propaganda. And The Creature from Jekyll Island was a book my mom gave me. <laughs> and I still have it actually right next to me here, and I go back and reference that book on a weekly basis. So, a couple things. I, I, I think one of the reasons why there has been an awakening, you mentioned this, of, of the public, is because of what you do, uh, what I try to do with my radio show, with my platform, DaveJanda.com. We also have three other shows on my platform. Um, we upload a tremendous amount of public information. We also have a bit of a subscription service, 30 cents a day, kind of nine bucks a month kind of thing, where we upload three other shows a week in addition. But, but one of, and plus our YouTubes. But, but one of the ways in which I believe this awakening has actually gone at, at, at a much faster speed and rate yeah. is because of what you do, what I try to do, what the alternative media has done. You see, this, I believe, is what is responsible for the deep state actually being desperate at this point. I, 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 I believe when we start looking around the world, and domestically here in the United States as well, we see a lot of deep state globalist players acting out. And they're acting out, and some people mistake it for being out of they're, because they're in such power and such control, I actually believe they're acting out because they're desperate and they see their control and their power base not just slipping away, not just eroding away, but melting away. And, and they're panicked. And I believe what has led to this melting, this very fast melting, has been the alternative media. That, that people are turning off their cable shows. People are, 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 are even looking at, I, I, I continually get in trouble with this. Uh, for years I have said that Fox does this marketing gimmick, a fair and balanced, 
as I've always I've, I've said for years, and people despise me for this, but I've said you know Fox is like going into a Baskin Robbins ice cream store, and every single flavor is, if you will, owned by the globalists. And whether it's MSNBC or CNN or Fox or ABC or NBC or CBS, they're all the same. They're all owned by the syndicate. And people say, oh, no, 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 Fox is fair and balanced. And to that I say, they have some players on there. I, I, the best you, I think that they are is controlled opposition. But there are some players, Hannity, uh, Ingram, uh, Carlson, Lou Dobbs, that I believe are legit. And I and I believe they're there to give the sense of controlled opposition. But even those players will only go so far, and they won't go, they won't cross a line, if you will. Right. But 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 the management of Fox, I believe, is deeply globalist. And let me give you an example. And it just happened in the midterms. In the midterm elections, I had Fox Business News on. I I uh, just seeing what was going on. And at 9.30 Eastern time, all of a sudden they came out with this announcement. So this is 6.30 Pacific time when the polls close at 8 p.m. At 9.30 Eastern time, they come out and they declare all of a sudden out of nowhere that the House was won by Democrats. Interesting, yeah. But the polls were going to be open for another hour and a half to two and a half hours. So what happened was, this was, I believe, a blatant attempt at voter suppression and and what better place to do it than Fox, where more independents, more conservatives watch, so people are going to go, oh, it's already decided I'm not going to go vote, or people go, I don't want to vote for a loser, I'm going to vote for who's now been declared the winner. And this is one of the reasons why I think we saw Orange County, the votes changed so drastically there, and why we saw potentially a loss in, in Montana and Arizona and in Nevada in the Senate. And, 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 and I did a little digging, and the guy who was responsible for that is a guy by the name of Bill Salmon, who's the director of, of, of political content at Fox. Just so happens that he's Murdoch's right-hand guy. Mm-hmm. It just so happens that the Murdochs sit on the Council on Foreign Relations, oh a, a globalist think tank, yeah. and Salmon has been in charge of developing the mig- open open borders issue, open migration issue for the Murdochs. Mm-hmm. Wow. And this wow. is a guy who's not only a never-Trumper, but he's also wrote, written a book on how to affect a legisl- uh, elections, and he was the guy who wrote the questions for Megyn Kelly to take Trump out. So I truly believe what happened on, a, on the midterm elections, as an example, was an is a it was a globalist syndicate that part of their tentacle being Fox to actively voter suppress the, the results so that globalists could get in, and 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 individuals that were not aligned with the globalist party be delete, be defeated. This is very hard to identify. It seems like these are tentacles that are reaching across the pond, if you will. And certainly with the fires that have happened, uh, and, and you're very brave to, 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 to reach out as far as, as, far as you are, being, uh, being a, a, a somewhat of an expert in your, in, in, in your field, I would, I would assume. But uh, it, it, we've, got, we've got Roger Kimmel sitting as v, a, a, a VP of PG&E, and, and, and on the backside, he's been there since 2009, on the backside, he's, uh, he's, he's employed by Rothschild Incorporated. I, mm-hmm. I, I hate to, I hate to kind of you know 
slam one uh, one investment fund over another, but we do know that the Rothschild uh, historically uh, have been part of uh, a, a, a very controlling arm, and, and again, uh, the, the British may uh, dispute that, of the Bank of England. And the Bank of England reports to nobody. The Queen, from, again, I'm not British, but I'm assuming I understand this process well enough, but the Queen, assumingly, reports to the Bank of England. So then who is the Bank of England subject subject to? And my question to Americans, and specifically those living in California, is does it matter that a VP of your gas and electric company is a foreign employee? To me, that says, wait a second. I mean, hey, look, every it's fair game, right? Capitalism, fair trade, make money, work hard, make money. I'm all for that. But when it seems like it's kind of counteracting the interest domestically, I think there's an issue there. And certainly you, you brought up G. Edward Griffin's book, uh, and, 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 and for listeners that don't understand that, uh, that alludes to the 1913 Woodrow Wilson Act of the, the Federal Reserve mm-hmm. and Jekyll Island. So and who was behind that? The Rothschilds and the Rockefeller Axis, right? Right. So, so yeah. I talk about globalist silos, and one of the pre- predominant silos that has called the shots over many decades' time are the Rothschild-Rockefeller axis. Very well said. Very, very well said, Dave. Uh, Dave, we've got to we've got to close down here. But what I want you to do is I want you to give listeners um, an, an, an objective, a, a directive, rather, uh, of how they can approach making America, not to, not to sound cliche, but getting past the, the, the political divide and, 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 and do something, take a stand in their community. And, 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 and if, you, you know, if you want to kind of tackle the medical angle of, 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 of approaching and making medicine and insurance freer in that sense, do that. But, but give, I'd like you to give some advice for listeners on how they can kind of dig into this a little bit more and take a stand and, 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 and act on this. It's very easy to sit on the couch and let everything kind of happen in front of you. And the single greatest piece of advice I can give people is get off the couch. That means doing research. That means listening to your show. That means investigating some of the guests you have on the show and the information behind what they're saying. That means getting out and getting a copy of G. Edward Griffin's book, uh, The Creature from Jekyll Island. It means about uh, getting on multiple sources, uh, looking at, at YouTube, looking at a number, and not accepting everything, researching behind it, getting more active, and then speaking about it with others with friends, with families, with neighbors, with coworkers, and not putting it in a right-left axis. Stop the right-left axis stuff and start looking in the up-down axis, up being freedom and down being oppression. And that's how people, people need to change how they look at the world. And this is one of the awakenings that's been occurring over the past three or four years. People are not looking in the right-left axis because they, they're hearing things in the alternative media that's telling them, no, 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 go up-down, go up-down, and start looking up-down. So get off the couch, start doing some research. Stop, stop letting them propagandize you 
on the TV and in the New York Times and the Washington Post and whatever it might be and do your own legwork and then discuss with others, not on a right-left axis, and tell them right up front, this is not a political discussion. This is not right-left. That is, that, forget it. That's meant, to, that's meant to make us argue. Let's talk about freedom and let's talk about oppression. And let's talk about who's doing what when it comes to freedom and who's doing what when it comes to oppression. Single greatest thing folks can do. A- absolutely incredible, Dave. Uh, and by the way, um, uh, Dr. Janda uh, graduated magna cum laude. Is that correct, Dave? That is correct from Bucknell University. I uh, had double majored in um, chemistry and economics and then went to medical school at Northwestern University in Chicago, got my MD degree there. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Dave Janda. Dave, thank you for joining Discussing Your Truth. I thank you very much, Ian. And if folks are interested and they want to hear more what we have to say, all they have to do is come to DaveJanda.com. Have a good one, Dave. Thanks. You too, Ian. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Dave Janda, the man is beyond brave. Okay, here's an orthopedic surgeon. And if you caught the entire episode, he saw administration working with and for Reagan to Bush to Clinton to Bush to Obama. And he's saying, hey, wait a second. Things changed. And again, this is his perspective after Reagan. And we were making progress. And then Bush comes around and boom, we hit a wall. So what was he trying to achieve? He was trying to achieve a better health care for all Americans. So did that surface in Obamacare? Does it work for you? Does it not work for you? What are your thoughts? But from his expertise of medicine and preventative medicine, he says, whoa, as an American, there's things I got to look into. And that is what I do every Wednesday right here on Winwood Radio in discussions of truth. I'm your host. Ian Hamilton Trache, follow me on Twitter, follow me on Instagram, I-A-N-T-R-O-T-T-I-E-R, and I'll be right back with you next week, live at Art Basel. That'll be in South Beach, Miami Beach, 12th and Ocean. Our guest will be VP of Project Censored, Andy Lee Roth. And until then, be